This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 103, The Family Prosperity Index with Scott Moody and Wendy Workulik. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our latest episode. We've got a fun couple of guests in uh, in for your listening ears today. But first, I wanted to welcome Holly Bach. Welcome, Holly, to the studio. Thank you, Mark. So we've got two very quick announcements just to run through those, and then we'll get right to the interview. Uh, September 7th, 2019, uh, 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Central Time. Central Time. Uh, uh, go to our show notes. We'll do a, a little bit of a uh, blurb for this now, but our show notes should have the registration link. Um, we're going to be doing a live show. Uh, be a part of it. We'd love to have you on our show. Is Bank on Yourself better than investing in the stock market? We've got a special guest, Amanda Neely, who's the co-host of Grandma's Wealth Wisdom. She's done some pretty phenomenal research and even crunched the numbers to find out whether or not Bank on Yourself uh, is better, and those are keywords there, than investing in the stock market. So check that out, September 7th uh, from 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. Central Time. Now, uh, the other quick announcement is that we do have one week left to get your voice heard on how we can build a community of learners and practicers of the Not Your Average concepts we teach on the show here. So again, go to our show notes and you can fill out a 90-second survey. We'll keep it to three questions or less. We just want to get your thoughts and ideas on the very best way we can build a community of learning and practice together. So check out the show notes there. Or you can go to bit.ly, B-I-T-L-Y slash N-Y-A-F-P nine zero for 90 seconds. Get that? Was that was that pretty smooth <laughs> there? Okay, yeah. so I won't make you wait any longer. I wanted to introduce you to our guests today. Both are just tremendous individuals on their own right, but they're also a married couple, which I think just makes it even cooler. So Wendy Workalik uh, is a public choice economist trained in applied microeconomics and econometrics. So Wendy has spent the majority of her career applying economic tools to the problems of state government. She's a chief economist at the Family Prosperity Institute, and she and Scott have both co-created the Family Prosperity Index, which is a brand new, I would say, uh, way to look at our country. Uh, So they'll be getting into more about that, but she's also a senior fellow at Illinois Policy Institute and Oklahoma Council of Public Affairs. Her prior uh, professional experience includes positions as economist at the U.S. Department of Commerce Bureaus of Economic Analysis. She was the chief forecasting economist for the Commonwealth of Virginia's Department of Medical Assistance Services and the adjunct scholar with the Tax Foundation. So, you know, she keeps pretty busy, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, I'd say. (laughs) All right. She's received her Ph.D. in economics from George Mason University. And she's also done some research in a number of other public um, domains. Scott Moody uh, has worked as a public policy economist for over 18 years. He's the author, co-author, and editor of 170 studies and books. He's testified before the House Ways and Means Committee of the U.S. Congress, as well as various state legislators. He's appeared in Forbes, CNN Money, State Tax Notes, Portland Press Herald, New Hampshire's Union Leader, Hartford Courtrant, uh, The Oklahoman, and The Albuquerque Journal. 
and he as well uh, has uh, co-authored this Family Prosperity Institute uh, and the Family Prosperity Index. So I think you guys are going to get a great ton of value out of where where to raise a family in the most prosperous way. What does prosperity even mean? Uh, so I won't make you wait any longer. Let's take it away, Scott and Wendy. Scott and Wendy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having us, Mark. Yeah, I'd love to hear a bit about your background, your journey with our listeners. Well, wonderful. We're, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, Scott and I are a married couple. We met in graduate school, of all places, um, in um, an economics program at George Mason University. We met in uh, an economist class. I, um, some of your listeners might be familiar with him, Walter Williams. And we, uh, we, we spent most of our careers um, in the free market area, working for state-level state, state level public policy think tanks. Um, we've worked at the national level, just primarily public policy um, and, and just primarily looking at economic, uh, the fundamental economic, economic data. The, the product that we're going to talk about today, the Family Prosperity Index, the way that we... Um, what inspired the development of that index, um, we'd spent most of our careers looking at taxes and so much so that we built uh, the Business Tax Climate Index at the Tax Foundation, which measures a, a state's tax burden. Just thinking more and more about sort of a holistic measure of, of well-being um, inspired us to think beyond taxes and beyond economic output and beyond the economic sphere and, and look at things that uh, more social, social level data, because people don't just make economic choices, they make choices in the social area of their life. And so we wanted um, a measure that measured a person's overall economic choices, all the choices they make in their lives. And that's that. That that is all the that's all the data that's in the Family Prosperity Index. So it measure it has sixty different measures. It it looks at um, the the connection between the economic choices people make in their lives and the social choices they make in their lives. So just real brief, my background. I had come from from a, a, a fragmented family. My parents had been divorced multiple times each, and um, I have uh, several siblings. That have, that have gone through that as well. And so I was looking at just thinking about from my own experience, all the different things that had happened to my siblings in their lives, whether it be, you know, they're on welfare and substance abuse, trouble with the law and all these things that have happened in the social area of their lives and how those, those choices they've made have impacted their economic outcomes. And so that's really, that's part of the impetus and what drove us to develop the Family Prosperity Index was our personal experience and obviously how we view the world as economists. Well, the other thing is in our 20-year professional career, you know, we've gotten to know a lot of policymakers and a lot of people in the think tank world, both on the economic sphere and in the social sphere. And, 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 the, two si and the two have been kind of divided. And we kept hearing from both sides how if there was only a product out there that could combine our two worlds so that we can all be rowing in the same direction instead of, you know, each chasing after their, you know, their own windmill, so to speak. And that got us thinking as well. As Wendy pointed out, we had built an index prior to this, and we understand that indexes are a very simple way for people to grasp the differences between the states, and that's what we're measuring. And so in our most recent index, we have found that Utah comes out number one in the Family Prosperity Index, and it's not even close. The number two is a distant second. 
And on the other end of the spectrum is New Mexico, which jostles with West Virginia for the last spot, depending on the year you're looking at. And they are also actually moving away from the average. So they're not only at the bottom, they're, they're getting further and further away. So you've, we've got this divergence of these states. And then everybody else is, is in the middle jostling around. And so we want to be able to learn from these experiences. What are states doing right? What are states doing wrong? And then that way, other, you know, other states and families and communities can emulate that. And that's the real goal. Ultimately, the index is not just to be out there, static information, but usable information so that you can really hone in on the problems in your state, and we hope in the future down to your community, uh, and be able to take action. Tremendous stuff. Thank you guys for that explanation. And you're right. There are a lot of indexes that you hear about indices out there on in the news. Folks might be familiar with a few of them like gross domestic product, the unemployment rate, uh, the consumer price index. Uh, what you are proposing here is a brand new way to look at our nation. And I mean, you're looking, as you said, from the state down to maybe even the local level uh, and offering uh, information, a lens to see our community uh, from a brand new way. I, I was thinking about this. This was actually probably 20 years ago. I started thinking about this. You know, if if someone teaches their children in a home uh, and adds significant value to their family through, oh, you know, washing the dishes, for example, doing the laundry, uh, they could spend the entire day uh, without adding a penny to the GDP. And yet, how much value did they bring to their family uh, by, who knows, like staying married, uh, sticking with it? Um, you know, these are all things that don't necessarily show up in, on the GDP. It's not until we buy something that we show up on someone's economic radar, I assume. What you guys Absolutely. are proposing here is there are a lot more ways to be a valuable member of our family or our community than just when we pull out our credit cards. Absolutely. And unfortunately, in today's society, GDP has almost become, you know, we almost worship it as if it is the end-all be-all to, to economic progress. And as you've rightly pointed out, there are a lot of omissions within GDP that have automatically and biased the way we view the economy. So absolutely, if you wash your own dishes, you're not in GDP. But if you pay somebody to wash your dishes, you all, that person is in GDP. But there are also other things that are counted that we would say aren't good for society. Take gambling, for example. There's been, in the last decade or two, a huge movement right, to have more access to gambling, casinos, etc. And when a casino goes in, Boom, the economy looks like it's booming. They're hiring workers. They're, um, you know, people are spending money suddenly in areas maybe they hadn't visited before. But it, what we don't see is the dark side of gambling. We know that gambling is highly addictive. We know that gambling uh, leads to financial stress, which in turn can lead to divorce, which in turn breaks up the family. And then you're going to have all, as, as the scholars have pointed out, you have all these negative consequences to the children. These children are going to grow up with lower educational attainment. They're going to grow up with a higher propensity for crime and, and all of these negative factors. But because GDP is just a, a moment in time snapshot, it's not going to capture these negatives that may be one year, two year, even 10 years down the road that are going to accumulate in the system. And, and ultimately, even the economy is going to suffer in the long run. And that's what we're trying to point out 
in the index is a one-time snapshot is an inadequate measure for true prosper- measuring true prosperity. You mentioned in one of your videos that 35 million Americans were on welfare in, uh, at the start of the millennium, but by 2013, that number had doubled. Why is that? And you know, what does the Family Prosperity Index have to say about uh, the, the plight of too many American families? Well, what we're fundamentally worried about here, especially in terms of welfare, is the problem of dependency. And in our research, what we found is the government likes to, unfortunately, when, when government expands, it crowds out other things. What we need to know is what are those other things and why does it matter? So on the economic side, when government taxes, remember, government can't, can't create wealth. It has to take it from someone else, and that's done through taxation. And it redistributed that wealth to somebody else. And in that process, unfortunately, it's not, it's not a perfect machine. There's a lot of waste. There's a lot of inefficiency. And government, for example, will crowd out the private sector. And what we have found is when the private sector gets smaller, prior to the Great Depression in America, the, the private sector was 90% of the economy. Today, it's around 60% of the economy. That's going to make us all poorer in the long run. And you can see it across the states. Why is Maine poorer today than it was 50 years ago? It's because they have a smaller private sector. But we're, it's not just economics, however, that the government crowds out. It also, it also crowds out things like the family. Welfare incentivizes the breakup of the family. And that's why today we're dealing with the consequences of fatherlessness, that so many families today do not have a father. It's just a single mom, you know, trying, struggling to make ends meet, but the father's out of the picture because welfare incentivizes it. Also, communities and religion get crowded out because those were historically the way we provided help to the poor was through community institutions like fraternities and lodges or your church. They would provide welfare, but as soon as government comes in, those start to atrophy and we lose the cohesiveness that those institutions provided. Government can't provide that cohesiveness, that community that used to exist. So we really need to be cognizant of this crowd out. And when you look at the Family Prosperity Index, our goal is to show how all these factors interrelate. Well, and it is a very interrelated uh, index. I, I'm really impressed. You guys have six major indices inside your index here. The economics of the family, demographics, family self-sufficiency, family structure, family culture, and family health. What were some of your key findings? And of course, I want to make sure our listeners get to hear uh, what you find are maybe the solutions to the problems you found. So one of the uh, one of the findings that sort of verifies some of the assumptions we made going in, one of the biggest ones was Utah coming out right on top there. And like Scott said, gap between number one and number two, Utah being number one, just amazing. It's significant. Um, and so what we found with Utah was that you know people are real familiar with Utah being a Mormon you know, a Mormon state. There are a lot of Mormons there. The LDS community is, is very robust. But what we didn't know until we started digging into the data was that they're economically robust as well. I mean, their economic outcomes are, are, are just ama- they're st- staggering. It's just amazing. And so you, when you lift, lift the hood of, of the car there, what you see is demographically, um, 
when you look at entrepreneurship, for example, entrepreneurship's the game, the game of the young, right? Risking and trying, you know, trying to start businesses. And Utah, they're they're number one in demographics, number one or number two. There for and, and what that means is they have the highest percentage of young people. So so their entrepreneurship um, as as a result is is very high, their entrepreneurship rate. And so, and, and, and how that translates into their economic results is, um, is amazing. So, so the, the link between their strong faith, strong community, and their economic results, their, their demographic results, they, they have a high percentage of young people, and then their economic results are all off the charts. Uh, another big result or, or surprising result for us was the link between faith and um, drug overdoses, the, the, the heroin epidemic has kind of institutionalized itself in our culture. It just, you know, keeps growing. But three or four years ago, um, when we were building the index and, and we launched it, the heroin epidemic in New Hampshire, where we live, we had the highest number of overdoses a couple of years ago, and we're still in the top five. But Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont um, compete with each other every year to be the least religious states in the country. Whereas if you look down south, Mississippi and Alabama can be compete to be most religious. And so even though Mississippi and Alabama have, you know, another host of problems, um, primarily poverty, which drives, you know, some of their poor economic outcomes and some of their social outcomes, they do not have the same kind of heroin epidemic drug problem that we do here in the Northeast. And that's because of their, you know, we're the least religious state here where we have the highest heroin epidemic, and down south, they don't have that drug problem. Um, they're in the bottom bottom tier for the drug problem, and they're the most religious. So that was one of the more surprising results. When we think about, you know, our country's finances, and we think about the major problems we have, like with debt, and, um, well, with debt, that's one of the biggest ones. That kind of, we look at the demographics and that relationship between debt and some of the financial problems we face. Well, that's right. It, the train that's coming down the tracks that most people, unfortunately, aren't paying enough attention to is what scholars are calling demographic winner. And that's a situation where there are just too few young people to support current population levels. So, for example, Maine and West Virginia, there are actually more deaths in those states each year than there are births. Well, that's the initial sign that demographic winner is setting in. And it's not just small states. Pennsylvania, for example, could be the third state that goes into demographic winter. And of course, it's a very, very large state. So it's, it's happening across the country. And what that's going to mean is, uh, number one, is a deceleration in economic growth because businesses are going to struggle to find workers as they are in these states already. They're going to struggle to find even new consumers because there's just going to be fewer people around. This is a situation that America has not experienced certainly not nationwide. We've, we've experienced it periodically in, in certain areas of the country, like the westward expansion, for example. A lot of eastern states saw population decline as people moved west. But those are very localized. We've never seen it at this scale. And that's going to have tremendous negative economic consequences. It's going to mean recessions are going to become more frequent. Even depressions may become more frequent. And that, in turn, as Wendy's pointing out, is going to impact government finances. We already because we're also at the same time aging rapidly, we're seeing massive growth in entitlement programs. And those are Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare. How are we going to finance that without imposing a crushing burden on our younger generations? Because the number of people 
used to be the number of people supporting one social security recipient was, was much larger. Now it's shrinking down where only a few people are supporting each social security recipient. And unless we plan on raising taxes really, really high, which, which in itself would crush the economy, we're going to have to face up to this demographic crisis sooner rather than later because it gets a, it's a lot easier to fix it now than it is 20 years from now. Thank you, guys. That's phenomenal uh, conclusions you've come to. And I'm looking at the this incredible map you've you've put together as a part of your executive summary for the Family Prosperity Index. And I'm looking at it with two sets of eyes. And I'd love to get your feedback on each of these as far as so solution, right? Uh, I think we, we can all agree that there's some, some major headwinds coming at us uh, as a nation. But I'm also looking at this as an, a family man, right? As a person, uh, a part of a family. And I'm looking, for example, uh, at the states that are highest uh, in the Family Prosperity Index seem to be essentially the mountain states, you know? Um, you know, as you said, Utah up through the Dakotas and Minnesota and Texas there, even down south. But but most of the lower levels, I'm surprised, is the southeast and then the northeast in some ways. Uh, so as a family person, should I be thinking about moving to the, mo the mountain states, essentially? Or, uh, and also, I guess my other set of questions would be around, what's the, what's the, is there some sort of legislative change? Or is there a better solution than something coming from the government in terms of helping us improve our family's prosperity? What we're trying to relay within the index is, Ultimately, you know, you run out of states, uh, you know, to move to. We, we need to change our institutions and the way we, we view the family. And unfortunately, you know, public policy, for one, hasn't been very friendly to families. As I pointed out earlier, you know, welfare and fatherlessness that has resulted from that. We need to reexamine how we spend money through our government systems. We need to reexamine, you know, how we, we construct our families. I mean, as Winnie's pointing out, you know, going to church, you know, this isn't just us speaking. It's not just what we found in the index, but Gallup, for example, did an exhaustive survey on religion a few years back. And what they found, which was surprising to me, you know, from coming from Gallup, is that religious, religious families are healthier, wealthier, happier over non-religious people. So, you know, that's just a, an indicator. I'm not saying everybody needs to go out, obviously, and, and, and join a religion tomorrow necessarily, but there are many institutions in America today that are not as robust as they were 50 years ago, even fraternal organizations and, and our communities. Unfortunately, I mean, we, uh, up in the Northeast, for example, and, and there are mill towns all over the country where, we, where the economy has shifted out from underneath them, and today, there's this hopelessness that, uh, that exists in these small towns that, unfortunately, that we need to tackle. And so the Family Prosperity Index is also about, again, mobilizing. You know, we want to get it in the hands, not just the policymakers. There are laws that can certainly be passed that will help on the margin. But we also need to involve church leaders and business leaders in these communities so that they can start beginning to take action and lead by example. You know, that used to happen in the past where everybody, you know, you have these, you know, what were they called, uh, you know, where these mill towns where there was one big, you know, industry, for example, and the corporate managers all lived in that town, the workers all lived in that town, they all rubbed shoulders together. And, and unfortunately today, you know, we all live in 
you know, live in gated communities and we, we drive everywhere we go, we need to reexamine some of these fundamental things, all of us, and, you know, begin to rebuild our communities if we want to move up in the index. So you mentioned that family entrepreneurship is one pathway that cuts right through a lot of the trouble that you see as you look out over our country. Uh, what, what does family business do that offers maybe a solution to the trouble that you guys see as you look out over our country? As Scott mentioned, um, a lot of the wealth that we see in rural America was, was built 100, 150 years ago. And the, the decline of that wealth, um, as you see, you know, the, the aging buildings and the aging old mills and the aging old manufacturing buildings that now sit empty with broken windows and all that, it took a lot of time for that wealth to run down. But to build that wealth up again, like as you said, that wealth was built by family businesses, right? And, um, and that seems to be one of the most ignored topics in education today. You know, you're not gonna, <laughs> entrepreneurship isn't taught in public schools. It's not taught, you know, at the universities unless maybe you're an MBA. And so what it does is it gives a family the independence. There is this, there's, we have the suicide crisis among middle-aged men. And, it, and it's not happening in Europe. It's not happening amongst African-American men. It's happening among middle-aged white American men. It, I mean, it's off the charts, the suicide crisis among that age cohort. And, and, you see, and you see it as you drive through rural America. It's, you know, it's the, it's the rust belt. It's the rusting of these towns, you know, the, the death of manufacturing. And so a solution um, to these communities that have, you know, lost their factory or um, lost their industry could very well be to um, could very well be an internet business. It could be, you know, a family type business because you know families are the support structure during the hard times, right? And a family business also gives you that a mechanism to build wealth, not just short term wealth, but long term wealth for generations. And and you can see what that did for the communities in America. That's what built, you know, that's what built America. So for us, for us, for for example. We, um, we had always wanted to build a business. We, we write about, we speak about the benefits of the free market in our profession, uh, and we've been doing that for the last 16 plus years. But we, we were like, oh, we really need to start a business because we have five children and we want to not be able to just talk about the benefits of entrepreneurship to them, but to show them how to do it. And so we're finally doing that. We're so blessed to be able to, um, we're building a business on, you know, for us, it's Amazon. Um, and I know, Mark, you've had some wonderful people on your show um, that participate in a group, um, the, the Legends Amazon group, Ryan Rieger and Danny Stock, and we're, you know, blessed to be part of that group to help us learn how to do that. But, um, but whatever business, you know, a family starts, it's something that will build sustainability and wealth for them so that they don't have to weather the struggles of the economy. It helps you know, that kind of wealth building will help safeguard them from potentially divorce, from, you know, a finance, you know, financial struggle is the number one cause of divorce and, and their children as well. And it, it will lift, you know, their boats up even higher. Um, and if we could also say thank you to Mark as well, because the bank on yourself plan is all part of that. You know, it's going to help the entrepreneurship side, uh, you know, and build, help us build, you know, sort of a, a financial safety net, if you will, that will allow us to take risk. And that's a big thing that's missing in today's society is we don't build those safety nets so that 
people can take the risks that they feel that they can they can take to build a business and to become an entrepreneur. Instead, they get locked into that nine to five uh, job mentality because of their finances. And as Wendy pointed out, you know, when finances go south, divorce goes up, and that just divorce is a nuclear bomb to family finances and the dreams of entrepreneurship. So they all tie together. And again, that's what the index is about. I agree. Wow. So well said, guys. And I love your concept of the family business as part of the solution. Uh, You know, I do believe as a financial planner, certified financial planner, that where your money lives actually impacts your family and your sanity. You know, I think, you know, if the average American is spending a third of their income uh, servicing debt and running ragged, working 60 hours a week just to keep up with that lifestyle, divorce is imminent, right? Uh, Suicide becomes more likely, unfortunately. you know, uh, drug abuse, uh, overeating, all of it become uh, over bad health habits, right? It all comes comes to bear, and so yeah, when you have your your banking function inside the family too, right alongside the business, all of a sudden maybe I've seen it with a lot of our clients. They'll bring home, uh, you know, they can stop working sixty hours a week and work more like thirty hours a week. Uh, they can find ways to to uh, reclaim some financial security when they're not tying it all on the hopes of Wall Street or on their credit cards. So I'm, I'm with you guys all the way on an individual level. I guess I have uh, two or three rapid fire questions here. I'll lay them all out and I'll let you guys pick what you'd want to do with each one. So let's pretend that you have a room of 10,000 American families. What's one piece of advice you could give them? There's no silver bullet, but what's one piece of advice? What's the smallest hinge that could swing the biggest door and make a big difference in their lives? So that's the first question. Second question is, you have 1,000 religious leaders from across the country in a room. What would you say to them? And then third, you have 100 congressmen, women, uh, and senators, and governors, and you know, political leaders in the room. What would you say would be one thing each of those groups would do as a result of what you've learned from your uh, index? You know, one of the great, one of the things that have jumped out of literature, you know, Wendy gave her story about coming from a fractured family. Um, it's not too late. The literature says that, uh, you know, if you start a family of your own, you know, you can enjoy all, all the, the economic and social benefits of having a family. I mean, it's, it's a giant reset button. You know, you don't have to despair and say, oh, you know, I grew up, in, you know, I don't know how to have a family. And unfortunately, I think a lot of people feel that way today. They just don't feel that they, you know, you hear it all the time. Well, I can't, I can't do that or I can't do this because I never had it as a child. Yes, you can. And you need to just get started. <laughs> so, um, Wendy, I don't know if you want to jump in on the religion. Sure. We've worked with pastors um, as well as political leaders, you know, whether they be governors or legislators, pastors of small and big churches and other nonprofits that represent um, pastors um, and, and the faithful, like focus on the family. And there's, um, I would say, one, that they need to work together to help solve the the problems in their communities and then you know and then as we go upward to your, their states and I would say that um, everybody works in their own silos their own you know we have moats and castles and everybody's defending their own castle whether it be um, legislators who only want to look at the jobs rec- you know the jobs report they want to look at GDP in their state they taxes they're they're focused on the economic fundamentals and then when it comes to the social problems, They only, um, they're scared to talk about them, one. And two, they don't relate what's happening socially 
to what's going on economically. And that's, um, that's the one thing we've heard from political leaders about the index um, consistently is that it's provided a safe space for them to talk about the, some of these social issues are, are, are lightning rods. they're like lightning rods in the media. And so they're afraid to talk about them because they'll be attacked. The political leaders will be attacked. But when they can relate these social phenomena and these social problems to economic outcomes that are happening in, happening in their state, they feel empowered to talk about them. And, and, and they feel empowered to bring them, you know, to the legislators and, and to try, you know, it, the, the FPI is a worldview and we need, pastors to talk about economics because economics affect their congregation and we need political leaders to talk about social problems because they're the public face politically in their states and they have a lot of power um, and presence to talk about those issues and to help try and galvanize people to figure out some of the solutions. Um, So I would say, you know, they need to work together and they need to talk about things that are outside of their their sphere their, their sphere of influence. Fantastic. Thank you. Would you guys have any final words for our listeners or ways that they could follow up and keep up with all that you're doing and all that you're learning over on the topic of family prosperity? Where would you uh, point people if they want to learn more? Well, we have a website, familyprosperity.org, where the main study lives. Also, we've done state-specific studies in about a half dozen states now where we delve, like West Virginia, where we delve into the specific issues. So go and check out to see if your state has been featured yet. If not, hopefully it'll be uh, on the list soon. We have videos. We also have a presence on Facebook and Twitter and uh, a lot of the social media. So be, be sure to like us there because we, we post things, uh, news stories and other points of interest that, um, that if you're interested in family prosperity, you really need to keep up to date on. And we will include all those links and a way to get in touch with you all in, on, in the show notes. Uh, thank you both for being a part of this. Uh, it was a tremendous honor and a great privilege to get to learn more about what you've discovered. And uh, I hope that we can all know and keep up with what you're learning as we go through the years together. Thank you, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Wow. So thank you again, um, Wendy and Scott, for your guys' insight and just sharing with us all, um, with us and our listeners, what it is that you guys do and how your you know family prosperity index works. I just think that that's so fascinating um, that they have taken the time, effort, and energy to kind of evaluate and I guess dive deeper into you know what is this thing called the family? How does it affect our economy mm-hmm. and therefore the prosperity? of our economy. Mm-hmm. And so I just I just think that's fascinating because really the family, the family unit, I mean dynamics relating to the family are not something that's looked at in any, you know, other indexes that um, we we measure or we look at. And so I just think that that's awesome. Um, but real quickly, Mark, what were some of your, you know, kind of, I guess, aha moments, key takeaways, you know, what were your thoughts on, on um, your interview with them? Well, you're right. Most other indices out there, the consumer price index, the GDP, they all track a certain value set, don't they? You know, my, my wife, for example, when she's there all day taking care of my little girl and, you know, keeping up after the house and doing things for the family and so forth. She's not showing up on any index, the GDP, the CPI. No, it's only when she gets out there and buys something that she apparently counts to most, uh, most of the economy. But I, I don't think that's exactly right. 
You know, I think people can add tremendous value by teaching their children, for example, or by doing things like uh, Wendy and Scott talked about, like a family business, for example. So what about yourself, Holly? Yeah, I guess I just thought it was really interesting um, to see the map of, um, and I guess kind of the, the graph of, of the most prosperous states um, according to their to their index. And um, if you're looking at it, it's, it's interesting, you know, like Idaho and Utah are all at the top, but then New Mexico is, is at the very, very bottom. And so, but if you think about, you know, because your first initial reaction is like, oh, wow, all the prosperous states are out in the West, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you know, we'll include a link to, to this map so you guys can look at it as well in our show notes. Um, but you, you, you know, you glance at it and you're like, whoa, like the West is where it's at, I guess. Um, and so you're you're kind of looking at that. But then New Mexico is at the very bottom. And then there's a couple of the other bottom ones out in the West as well. And so it's just like, okay, well, they're that all that close together. And so what is, you know, what's causing that? And yeah. like, why would number one literally be touching number 50? Yeah. And like, you, you cross that line and all of a sudden you go from number one most prosperous according to this index to number 50 and I just think that that's really really fascinating um, and then it's also bordering uh, number 44 which is Nevada and so it's just um, fascinating stuff so highly recommend for those that are interested in stuff like this or a nerd like I am because this is just stuff I love to eat up. Um, you know, look, look into it, get their book, the, you know, Family Prosperity Index, read through it. Um, and of course, you might come away with some good insights on, you know, how you can use your family unit um, to further your own family's prosperity. And then, you know, therefore, um, prosperity of our country as well. So it's awesome. Perfect. Well, uh, again, want to say thank you so much to Scott and Wendy for sharing your thoughts with us here today. And want to thank you, our listeners, for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.